Hello there. Welcome back to another episode of the Bet on Yourself podcast. This is season two, episode six, where I'm breaking down some of the frequently asked questions I receive from the CEO clients I have of scale-ups and startups, and I'm applying that into even individual lives and careers. And today's topic is one that's kind of all-consuming. It comes up in pretty much every conversation that I have, but this is around data-driven decision-making. So first, we're going to talk about what that is, how it applies to companies like startups and scale-ups, or all the way up to companies like Amazon and Google. And then we're going to talk about how it applies to ambitious individuals in their careers as individual contributors. So what is data-driven decision-making? And this is really something that is often summarized as a core secret to Silicon Valley success. So data-driven decision-making is the way that you make educated bets on where to put your time and resources to get the results that you want. This is especially important for startups and scale-ups that have limited runway and resources, and they want to make sure that every penny, dollar, and hour is uh, directly tied to their big results they want to see. So you often primarily see this concentrated in companies like Amazon and Google with four key elements. The first is high levels of information technology. So this happens a lot in firms that are able to have more sophisticated IT tracking, process implementation, communicated data across the organization. So you see this firms making the best use of data driven decision making when all of these things are true. So they have built out dashboards to track growth and measure results in detail and to watch for early indicators of patterns of results. The second indicator that this is probably true in a large organization is they have very highly educated workers. This this is absolutely true at Amazon and Google that have very high uh, hiring standards. So these companies are looking for formal education that can ensure that people are comfortable with qualitative, quantitative, and data-centric ways of understanding the world and their uh, output into it. And so these interview processes are very detailed and substantial so that they are sure that they employ only the top talent. And we also often see data-driven decision-making in big corporations. They're larger, multi-unit firms. They have the advantage of being able to learn from each other within their shared infrastructure of their company. And they have global expansion plans that are one-year, five-year, and 10-year targets out. So they know where they're going and they have a plan for how they're going to go grow step-by-step. And the fourth that we see is they have better awareness. Data-driven decision-making in companies comes from data that they feel like they can rely on. They have multiple sources of input that offer multiple perspectives, whether that's diverse units within the company or outside consultants, new employees coming with fresh perspectives or best practices. And so with these indicators, you're far more likely to be able to get a report at the frontier of data-driven decision-making. So how does this apply to the rest of us? Startups have a big challenge because these four indicators aren't yet present. They don't have a known product market fit and they're often making some really big guesses, which are just that guesses at this point. Those that survive the startup stage are the ones who track the results of their bets in order to build up a foundation over time of data so they can see where their efforts are leading to the best results. Now, this might be feel even more challenging if we try and break this down for the individual, but I promise you this same framework does apply for individual careers. 
It can be done even if you don't own the company or even manage your team. Taking control of your career can start with something as simple as purposeful job crafting. Now, job crafting is a concept coined by academic Amy Wizardneski. I hope I pronounced your last name correctly, Amy. She's an organizational psychologist at Yale. And she says that job crafting happens when you change the tasks or actions in your work and customize your job description to fit your personal strengths, values, and interests. And we've spent a lot of time over the last few episodes talking about building up that foundation for yourself. You become an active architect in your own work when you're really constantly reflecting on that foundational work that you've done. And this can be really empowering and a motivating exercise, especially if right now you're feeling stagnant or stuck or uninspired in your work. It's worth dedicating some time and attention to, despite our very busy days. I know your to-do list is already never ending, but I promise you get a lot in return for this um, thought exercise. So here are a few ways to get started on job crafting. Take some time to re-examine your effectiveness in your role and recenter on what motivated you to take this job originally. What motivated the creation of the role of the company? Uh, what problem are you there to solve and why did you choose to be the one to do it? Then look at what actions do you need to take in your work to recenter on this deeper meaning and mission. Perhaps you've been pivoted into a side project and really distracted from your main deliverable. If you're looking to level up, it's important that you do that in the way that's going to lead to the most results that value, that's valued both by you and your manager and the company as a whole. Then ask yourself, what are the things you need to eliminate that are inhibiting your effectiveness and satisfaction in your work? Sometimes the biggest observations come from asking this question. Some old processes might've crept in that made sense at the time, but now are really just adding red tape or holding you back. You might have some self-limiting beliefs about what you're capable of doing that needs some challenging, or maybe it's um, best practices that can be improved or new skills that you want to add in. Um, so we eliminate some old habits or um, sometimes we just have these old instincts or comfort zones that aren't servicing, serving us any longer. And then think about how you can customize your job description to fit your strengths, your values, and your interests. How can you become an active architect of your own work? And you absolutely can do this even if you don't own the company, you're, you're not a startup, and you're very much working for someone else to drive their agenda forward. There is um, an opportunity for us to find that nice Venn diagram where your values and your mission and effectiveness overlap with what your manager or your company needs most. And that's when we create a win-win-win where we really get everyone invested on the same page. So with these answers, you'll be ready to have some data-driven conversations with the stakeholders in your work. Maybe that stakeholder is a manager or a co-founder if you're founding a startup, or maybe even your life partner if this is going to take some extra time and resources. So let's look again at those original four characteristics of organizations that benefit from data-driven decision-making. And let's walk through some exercises of how you might be able to do that for yourself. So the first was high levels of information technology. So you as an individual contributor may not have the resources in the traditional sense, but you absolutely can start collecting data and or trends about what's going on in your team and your work. So this is about being able to see some patterns in the behaviors already available to you every day. All we have to do is start paying attention to it. So let's start by collect collecting data on your impact. 
maybe you can create a dashboard. Now, maybe I should define dashboard. A dashboard is think of the dashboard of your car, where in a quick glance down while you're driving, maybe 60 miles an hour or more, you can get uh, a really quick indicator of how you're going. What's your speed, your rate, how much fuel you have in the tank. This is very analogous to our careers. We're moving really fast every day, and goodness knows we, we're often doing like 10 things at once. You want a dashboard that you're going to be able to process a lot of information in just a quick glance and know where you're getting the biggest return for your efforts and energy. So you want to watch for some patterns and insights that will tell you where you're getting the most results. So for example, you might start measuring the number of new contacts converted into sales with a new approach or campaign you're taking. Or you might start tracking the number of hours of executive or management's time that's saved by tasks that you request to be delegated to you. Or maybe you're measuring the number of articles you've posted online that have converted into engaging conversations and built, up, built you up as a thought leader or created some new opportunities for collaborations. So this applies if you're a startup looking for a product market fit or as an individual looking to see what brings you the most results. And really, this is all about finding the most joy in your work. Let's make sure we're measuring what really is bringing you satisfaction. None of us have time to waste. So remember Pareto's principle. Let's look for some data to tell us what of our efforts, those 20% of our time and efforts is bringing in 80% of the results. And this requires us to define what we want and how we're attempting to get it. Sometimes it's just sitting down and thinking about that process where we see like maybe we've got some misalignments that have crept in there somewhere. And it might get uncomfortable as you uncover some assumptions that are going to be proven false as you start measuring the data. It might also help you engineer some serendipity and grab hold of opportunities that otherwise might have passed you by. So for example, I recently gave a talk at South by Southwest and we'd recently set up some dashboards to see where um, we were getting most engagement with our community. So that was measuring who was signing up for the newsletter, new listeners to the podcast, super glad you're here, <laughs> and um, what the web traffic was on the website. And because we'd set up this dashboard, I had um, we were able to notice some patterns. So we were reaching out to some news agencies, some media covering South by Southwest and um, saying that we'd be available for interviews and making some pitches about connecting with their readers and viewers and audiences. But with the dashboards, we actually noticed something really unexpected. We started to see a huge amount of engagement from Brazil during South by Southwest. They were coming to the newsletter, tuning in for the podcast, visiting the website, going through some of the free resources there. And so that helped me pivot what I thought was a winning strategy. And I, instead I focused my outreach to media outlets from Brazil. And just from that single observation, we're able to reach a couple of publications that actually have multi-millions of uh, readers and connect with those audiences we might have missed otherwise were we not watching that data. So you never know where it's going to take you. And often there's some hidden surprises and opportunities buried in there if we just take the moment, time to collect the data and take a look. So the second category that we often see true in data-driven organizations is very educated workers. 
Now for the individual, this might mean up-leveling your personal skills. You might ask your employer for some training or take it upon yourself to watch some free webinars or read an influential thought leader who is an expert in the skills that you want to bring to your next level of expertise. So in all work scenarios, we should consistently seek out a team of talented people who are ambitious and challenging the status quo. So this is true whether you're a manager building up your team or if you're an individual who is gathering this tribe around you. So now we have created an opportunity for us to be surrounded by and inspired by the smartest people we can find. We've talked about that across the last couple of episodes as well, and I hope you've remembered and taken some action on that challenge. It's really essential once we've got this curated tribe to create some psychological safety in order to have innovation come as a result of this community. So how do we do that? First, we wanna set clear expectations that we want our ideas to be challenged. We want to be pushed outside of our comfort zone. That gives the, the smart people who we've gathered around us permission to engage with us that way. Second, we wanna create opportunities that reward creative thinking and data gathering by the people around us, because goodness knows it's easier with uh, multiple people doing the lift than just us ourselves. So for example, when we're working through a big decision to we could go to a trusted manager or a really talented friend and ask them to play devil's advocate for one of our ideas to ensure that we've kind of considered all the possibilities and examined it from all angles. So for example, during the pandemic early uh, last year, I think, well, maybe exactly a year ago, about May last year, I um, was in a board meeting with a company based in the UK. And in this board meeting, we were trying to do some new operational procedures for the company to adapt to the pandemic environment. The CEO specifically asked me to speak up in a bolder way and to play devil's advocate and to poke holes in these favorite ideas to make sure that we hadn't missed anything. And without this challenge, I might have otherwise not really engaged or felt like I had permission to be as aggressive as I ended up being in that moving, in that meeting. And it gave me the confidence to really examine the data at a, a really deep level and to get into a deeper intellectual place than I might have otherwise. And we really have seen some amazing results. And it gave me the confidence to kind of take that permission beyond that sing singular exercise and apply that to uh, the past board meetings that I've engaged in, knowing that the CEO really wanted that for me and that that was valuable to him. And one of the main reasons that I was on the board was because of my unique background and perspective. So give people around you permission to play that role for you. The third characteristic is greater size. Okay, so if you're a startup and an individual, how can we simulate having a greater size? So I think this is about, again, gathering that community and pooling our best practices, trends, and observations among like-minded like people or um, industries. So start a conversation within your company, maybe. Uh, you can found a lunchtime book club. I actually did that in some of my earliest years at Google. There was a fledgling team doing a 20% project that became the Talks at Google group. So I volunteered on that foundational group where we gathered influential authors and big thinkers and hosted events for our engineers and developers to be inspired. And one, that expanded my mind into new areas of expertise, but two, and maybe even more valuable to me in the long run, was I gained some contacts across several departments of the company I never otherwise would have collaborated with otherwise. It gave me some deep relationships and got us 
each outside of our traditional role within the company, and we're able to volunteer and bring out a different skill set that wasn't currently utilized in our individual core competency roles. As an individual, maybe you can create an online network that will help you gather like-minded people who will help keep you accountable towards your goals or um, some of these challenges you're taking on for yourself. And this can be as simple as maybe posting and sharing some articles and tips on social media, maybe on LinkedIn or Twitter or wherever you're online, so that that kind of tells people what you're interested about and starts some challenging conversations for you. The fourth quality we see in data-driven decision-making companies is a better awareness. And this bigger awareness comes from consistently challenging your own status quo. So uh, Jim Barksdale, former CEO of Netscape, often said, if we have data, let's look at the data. If we have opinions, let's go with mine. <laughs> and obviously that's what we're trying to avoid. We're trying to avoid what is called the hippo effect. Hippo is the highest paid person's opinion. And once the highest paid person's opinion has been expressed, it can really limit the creative flow or willingness of the other people in the room to challenge that authority. So leaders really should be thoughtful about this effect and call out the quiet voices in the room, seek out some diverse opinions, and employees who are wanting to level up should be brave and raise your hand or submit an idea or observation to your leadership, maybe in uh, by email or through um, putting together a informal survey maybe of your teammates and, and seeing gathering some data for them on that behalf so that they can start seeing you that way and interacting with you in a way that they can see you as a data-driven decision maker. So for individuals, this is about having regular conversations with your stakeholders and presenting the data that you found. Help them see the bets that you're taking and the results of your work. This is how we make calculated risks and engineer some serendipity. And a pro tip, this is how I wrote my best and most convincing performance reports, especially as you're queuing up for maybe a performance uh, improvement plan or if you are going up for promotion. This will give you the data to really back up uh, your big requests, your goals, and to set you, yourself up for leadership opportunities within your team or within your life. So in summary, self-management is about having freedom from constraints and assuming the authority to make decisions about how to be most effective in your tasks and responsibilities. Work becomes not only more fun, but more meaningful when we feel like we have autonomy to align our work with our strengths, passions, and personal mission, and to empower those on our teams to do the same. When we feel overwhelmed and ineffective, it usually comes from being too absorbed in process and losing sight of the purpose of our work, which is really what makes it motivating. This is how data-driven decision-making can focus us on what our efforts lead, where our efforts lead to the most results. And this is how we work smarter and not harder. So give yourself permission to take a step back from your daily routine and refocus yourself on the purpose of your work measure and then celebrate big your wins and please i'd love to hear your experiences in trying this out i'd love to hear your uh, first steps in job crafting and the conversations that follow with the key stakeholders in your life so please share your results with us here on the bet on yourself community through social media or through the comments below and until next week i hope you go out there and make a big bet on yourself